Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everybody. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I am joined by my co-host, Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I was a lot better before that road trip. <laughs> I think every I think everyone who watched those games was, too. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get into that uh, somewhat disastrous mountain road trip that USC just went on. Uh, you know, we're going to check in with the, the Pac-12 standings here in a little bit and then also preview these final two games and and see what uh, what USC can still do, can still accomplish at the end of the season here. Uh, you know, I guess I would start off by saying that even though that road trip did go about as badly as it possibly could have, there is still a lot to be accomplished for this team. Uh, so no one can, no one within the team anyway, can afford to to go doomsday. I'm not sure if the same is going to apply to us on this podcast, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. So let's, let's start with those standings. Um, now that USC has lost three of its last four, they've dropped to 19 and six overall 13 and five in conference. So they are third in the pack 12 behind UCLA, which is 13 and four and Oregon, which is 12 and four. As of right now, USC does have the tiebreaker over both of those teams, but they do play UCLA again, obviously, uh, during that uh, that Saturday game to close out the season. UCLA and Oregon face each other on Wednesday night as USC is playing Stanford, uh, or tonight, uh, for, for everyone who's listening to this, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, game on Wednesday. So USC plays Stanford that night, UCLA versus Oregon, and then US, USC and UCLA face each other on uh this upcoming Saturday, and then Oregon plays Oregon State the following day, which, uh, you know, depending on how that UCLA-Oregon game goes, could be for the, the Pac-12 championship for Oregon. So, Chris, when, you know, that's kind of a lot to take in. When you kind of look at the, the standings and the scenarios, you know, is there anything that stands out to you as, you know, probably the most likely case? Or, uh, you know, what are you, what are you thinking when you see these rankings? Well, it's just really frustrating when I look at this because before that road trip, you're really thinking, hey, SC going on the road, you're at least getting a split. Maybe you can steal two on the road and then you're lining up for, you know, you'll play a Stanford team that's definitely down uh, without their best player playing. Uh, and then you're you're playing for the Pac-12 championship at Poly Pavilion against UCLA. And now with those two losses, um, you know, they no longer control their own destiny and it's it's frustrating. You go from, you know, number 19 or number 17 in the country, whatever they were ranked number one of the conference to out of the top 25 and you drop down to third in the conference. And it wasn't the, the games weren't close and they weren't fun to watch. Like, you know, if USC goes on the road and it's a back and forth battle with Colorado and they lose by, you know, three at, you know, close to the buzzer, you know, you're frustrated and you're mad, but you're like, you know what? They played their butts off and, you know, let's go get them against Utah. Uh, you know, in the second half of that Colorado game, I don't know what team uh, came out of that locker room, but it, it wasn't any part of it, the SC team that I've seen uh, any of the other games this year. It, it, it's just extremely frustrating. You know what it looks like to me is a team that doesn't often play at altitude. Uh, I, I thought, you know, I, I didn't I didn't see them like dragging in a way that would indicate that they weren't playing hard. I still thought that they were giving effort, but 
they were they were dragging in just like a way they they just couldn't they were just kind of like moving in slow motion out there at times and they they you know it, it seemed like there were there were times when they would be trying to get back in transition on defense and the other team would beat them down the court and that to me indicated that they just weren't particularly ready for the physical conditions not that that's an excuse cuz you know you you know that you're going to have to play uh in in those games but that was kind of what i saw did, did that kind of stand out to you from from the mountain road trip yeah i mean you know there's maybe there's something to be said about that um you know, I'm, I'm pretty close with the San Diego State basketball program, and they go play half their games at altitude much higher than where Boulder and Utah are. Right. Um, and they have a lot of tricks that they use. Um, but, you know, one of my biggest concerns about, you know, Andy Enfield as a basketball coach is, you know, their practices are pretty short. Um, you know, he kind of comes from that NBA uh, mentality, which is, you know, less time on the court practicing, save your legs, more time in the film room. Uh, studying your opponent and I think you know that can that can catch up to you especially if you're going to play at a little bit of altitude like like when you go up to Boulder uh, or at Utah Um, and yeah you know I I think I think altitude's kind of an easy cop-out yeah I've played at altitude a a lot you know my family lives in Colorado so I'm in altitude a lot but um, I, I just think that you know, I don't know if it was conditioning or what it was, but it was definitely more than tired legs. Mm-hmm. It, it, there, there were some mental signs there um, that I didn't like. And there were some kind of give up plays that I saw that I didn't like. And there was a lack of energy um, that, you know, I mean, to be honest, I, I turned off the game with eight minutes to go because I just I was so frustrated. And to myself, I just said, I know how this movie ends. Is this uh, the, the Colorado game? Yeah. OK, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, I hear you on that one. They're going to have a chance to to prove, you know, prove themselves and, and try to come back from from that. But certainly a, a very tough two game stretch uh, for them there. They didn't play very well at all. Uh, just before we we do move on to kind of touching a little bit more on on that road trip, uh, just want to check in about kind of like what the scenarios are that that we talked about before this podcast. It seems from from what we said that USC's best chance is for UCLA to beat Oregon on Wednesday and then to beat UCLA and, and uh, well, obviously USC would have to beat Stanford too, but, uh, and then beat UCLA in, in the final game of the season. And that is how USC can try to snatch this PAC 12 championship that they won't seem to be the favorites for, uh, from basically the jaws of defeat at this point. Um, but obviously there, there are so many scenarios if Oregon ends up beating UCLA, then USC has to, you know, again, win win their remaining two games, but then hope that Oregon State can pull off an upset of Oregon in that final game on Sunday. So uh, there's still a lot to figure out for sure. Uh, it's it's still it's still a, cr- a close race, but USC certainly put itself behind the eight ball with this uh, with this mountain road trip. And in talking about that road trip, uh, I, I have it in my notes here. It's uh, it says mountain road trip ellipses woof. And that was basically <laughs> how I feel like you can kind of sum up this whole stretch for them. Let's start with that Colorado game on Thursday where USC lost 80-62. to 62. Uh, McKinley Wright was uh, one of his best games that I've seen him play for sure. 15 points and 14 assists. He was just kind of running everything out there, being the, the typical point guard. And then Jariah Horn had... I don't know. I, I guess I don't want to say the game of his life because I don't think it was his highest scoring game in college. But twenty four and eleven on six of nine from three is uh, is pretty good. So what did you see from from those guys, and why did USC have such a tough a tough time stopping them? 
Yeah, I mean, I think McKinley Wright at this point has has played himself into uh, the top spot for player of the year in the Pac-12. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's one of the best point guards in the country, in my opinion. And I think he'll be, you know, probably a late first round pick uh, in the NBA draft. And I think he'll play in the NBA um, for for many, many years. Uh, it, and, you know, SC came out and, and they didn't shoot very well in the first half, but they played hard. Um, and they kind of went back and forth. And then at the end of the half, Colorado ended, I think, on a 10 nothing run. Yeah. And I don't know if that just mentally got them out of the game or whatnot, but SC just came out in the second half and just didn't want any part of it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, again, a, a lot of the things that have been the issues for USC this season really reared its ugly head in both of these games. I mean, three-point shooting, SC went 5 of 16, 31%. Uh, and free throws, 11 of 18 for 61%. And they're playing against a team who's who's the number one free throw shooting team in the country. They went 14 to 15 shooting. I'm sorry, not in the country, but the conference. They went 14 to 15 from the free throw line for 93%. And I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, Jariah Horn. I mean, the dude was lights out. He was on fire. And, you know, they made 12 threes as a team. Um, and to be honest, a lot of those were, were open threes. It was McKinley Wright getting into the paint, driving and dishing. Um, and SC was just playing catch up on defense that entire, you know, basically the last 26 minutes of the game. Uh, they just, they, they couldn't seem to get their defensive rotations in check. And Colorado completely had their way with them. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was not, uh, you know, I was not particularly panicking after that game. I I kind of felt, even though it was it was the you know worst loss by differential of the two, I kind of looked at it as, I mean, first of all, I went into that game kind of thinking Colorado has had USC's number recently. They seem to play very well against USC. They're at home where they're great. Uh, they need to they need to win these games. They have McKinley Wright playing his final home stretch as uh, as a Buffalo. So I I kind of felt like that Colorado game was going to be very tough to to win. And even though it was a blowout, I was kind of like, well, you know, Colorado just shot the ball really, really well. And sometimes it just kind of all is like an avalanche on you and you just can't like find your footing. And that doesn't mean that USC isn't a good team or still able uh, still able to accomplish what, you know, they seem to be in position to do late in the season, which is, you know, win the Pac-12, compete and compete for the, the championship and the tournament and then go to the NCAA tournament and, you know, try to to put on a good showing there. Then the Utah game happened. And even though that was a 10 point loss, I kind of felt like, you know, it's one thing if you just have like a, a cascade of the other team making shots on you, but if it happens in two straight games, then you're kind of looking more at a, there's something wrong with the defense at that point, right? Yeah, there's definitely something wrong with the defense. There's something wrong with your three point shooting. I mean, 0 is six from the three in the first half and then two of seven in the second half, two of 13 for the game. For 15%, you got to be kidding me. 15 of 21 from the free throw line. Again, stuff that we have known has been an issue for this team all year that is not getting corrected. And especially at this time of the season, that's what's really concerning. Um, I also think that teams are starting to figure out Evan Mobley. Uh, that's another thing that, that you know, I think the coaching staff needs to figure out how to get Evan more involved in the game because teams have figured him out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at him against Utah, you know, 11 points on two of seven shooting. Luckily he made, you know, seven of eight from the free throw line. It was a great free throw shooting game for him. Um, and then, you know, against Colorado, I think he had like 13 points and five rebounds, six of 13 shooting. Like the, those are not good games. 
um, especially for someone who people say, you know, I, I think there's no doubt he'll get the freshman of the year in the conference, but he was also kind of playing for maybe player of the year in the conference. Yeah. Um, and and it, it makes me a little nervous that, you know, we saw what Colorado did and they clamped down on him pretty well. Uh, and we let Utah do the exact same thing. Uh, there were no real adjustments made to how uh, we can get the ball moving once, you know, Evans double teamed. Um, and, and, and so I think the coaching staff's really going to have to go to work on that because they're going to be playing against the Stanford team um, who, although they don't have their best player, I don't think Oscar De Silva's playing, you know, they still have some, they got some athletes, they got some shooters and they got some players. Um, this isn't going to be a walk in the park coming up, you know, at the Galen center. And these are two extremely important games coming up, not only uh, to try to win the PAC 12 conference, but I mean, they just fell out of the top 25. There are a lot of people saying that this team is on the decline, which is not where you want to be going into selection Sunday. And, you know, all these things from past years are starting to pop up. I saw a stat that said, hey, since the 2015-2016 NCAA basketball season, you know, the Andy Enfield's USC Trojans are 38 and 17 during the first half of the conference. And in the second half, they're 25 and 28. Um, And these teams have faded uh, towards the end of the Pac-12 season. And I was hoping that, you know, we could build off of last year's strong close and that success, you know, beating two Arizona schools in UCLA, uh, Jonah Matthews, big three pointer to close out the season, you know, build off that momentum and say, Hey, we got to close out the second half strong. Uh, but right now, like you said, at the opening, losing three of its last four, um, you know, you had an easy, not an easy, but you had a get right game against Utah, you know, a team that had lost four straight and, you collapse. Um, so there, there's some issues that they have and they got to get right ASAP. Yeah. It's one thing if you struggle on the road offensively for a team that's kind of offensively challenged already at times, but to let both Colorado and Utah shoot over 50% from three is, is very concerning. It's something that, yeah. that they certainly have to figure out. And um, you know, like you also said, they have to make adjustments on the offensive side uh, for sure, from from those games, you you gave us a really good segue though into these final games. So uh, obviously USC will be playing Stanford on Wednesday at seven thirty p.m. And you know I, I think for for these last two games, you know with UCLA as well on Saturday, we kind of mentioned it before the podcast, but there's not a ton to be gleaned from the previous matchups that USC had with these teams, right? Because they looked so different. Um, you know, you, you mentioned it. Stanford might be without Oscar De Silva for for this game tomorrow night, but in the previous game, they were they were missing three of their best players, and Zaire Williams, Dejon Davis, and Bryce Wills, and it was still a close win for for USC at, at Stanford. And Stanford led for a lot of that game. I think anyone watching would say, you know, to some degree, USC was pretty lucky. Yeah, uh, to, and, to and win if you game. remember, Oscar De Silva was on the bench for the majority of that game in foul trouble too yeah. so i mean he, he only played like you know 14 minutes or something like that um and yeah you're it's kind of it kind of reminds me of what we were talking about uh when sc was playing arizona state for the second time uh you know stanford was missing a lot of players in that first matchup um but you know sometimes when that happens a team just kind of naturally relaxes right and i think i think a lot of teams did that and Stanford won some games that they probably shouldn't have won. Like they beat UCLA, gave UCLA their first loss in the conference without three of their starters uh, because sometimes you just kind of relax. 
Uh, I don't think there's going to be any relaxing for SC in this game. I don't think there's going to be any more relaxing for the rest of this season. Um, so I think I, I think they they understand um, the severity of of the repercussions of these next two games if they don't win. Um, and you know Stanford, some something you know teams have figured them out a little bit without their big guy in the middle uh, who is also up for Pac-12 Player of the Year. You know, they've lost three in a row against, you know, a Washington State team that didn't have Isaac Bonton. Um, you know, they they played pretty tough with Oregon um, and then they got smacked by Oregon State. I mean, you know, they're they're kind of licking their wounds right now. Um, and, and, you know, that could be a dangerous thing. Um, but SC could jump out all over them and and, you know, make this a get right game and get prepared for UCLA. Yeah, agreed. And that's that's what you would hope to see from USC coming out here, right? But not necessarily what you're going to see, uh, especially because USC is also uh, a team that's that's licking its wounds at this point, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from from those from those previous two losses that they had. And, you know, I, I think what, one thing that I'm going to be interested to see with this game is, like we said, Colorado and Utah shot the lights out from three against USC. That was at home. That was their baskets. You know, that might be a different thing. If Stanford can, again, like they did in the first matchup, have success shooting shooting the three ball, uh, it's, you know, that's going to be – it's going to be panic time, basically, essentially, for USC's three-point defense or perimeter defense, I guess you could say, because – it, it it becomes a, a very noticeable trend when you're at the end of the season and three straight teams have their way with you shooting the ball. Uh, that means it's not likely to be just kind of like a fluke thing. It means that, again, you have like a very major issue with your defense. So I will be looking forward to seeing that. That's probably going to be Stanford's, um, you know, best way of, of winning this game is to shoot the ball well without, yeah. uh, without Oster De Silva in there. So I, I would anticipate that that's what they're going to be trying to do. And, uh, you know, we'll see if USC is up to the task. As for that UCLA game, you know, it, it's, it's kind of similar. In the last game, USC won 66-48 to 48 at home on February 6th. It was kind of like a, you know, like a triumph for USC, basically. It was, it was the point in the season where they were supposed to be establishing themselves as the best team in the Pac-12. They had just beaten their rivals, you know, very handily. There's one thing that you have to take away from that though. And that's that Cody Riley and Jalen Hill were not playing in that game. Uh, mm-hmm. Two of US, UCLA's best big men. So, you know, it, it's again, a similar situation to Stanford where you don't have the kind of experience of playing against this specific UCLA team. Cause the last time that you played them, they were short a lot of guys that, uh, you know, they're probably going to be having now. Yeah. And, and if you recall, I mean, UCLA, beat USC up on the boards yep. quite a bit, especially on, on the offensive rebound side without two of their big rebounders. So that's a major concern for me coming into the game is how can the Trojans keep the Bruins off that offensive glass? Uh, turnovers uh, were an issue last game um, and turnovers were a big issue uh, in the on the mountain road trip as well. SC needs to take care of the ball. Need to take care of the ball, get good shots, get good shots in rhythm, uh, be patient on offense um, when they're in the half court set, but try to run, you know, UCLA doesn't, doesn't, doesn't want you to run on them. They want to get you in that half court game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they want to try to speed you up. Um, SC needs to get those defensive balls and go, 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 uh, put pressure on that UCLA defense to get back in transition. Um, you know, Taj ED had an awful road trip, just awful. Uh, and he was so, so great. Those previous three or four games. 
uh, he needs he needs to figure out his shooting his shooting touch and you know there's no better place to do that than than at the Galen Center. Um, he needs he's going to really need to come alive. You know Ethan Anderson gave a huge lift lift off the bench against UCLA. He hit five threes. Um, he he did not shoot the ball well uh, past you know two or three games. Uh, he's going to have to hit some open shots. Uh, and I, I think it, it's it's all going to have to start and stop with Evan Mobley. Uh, UCLA has two great films uh, to watch on how to defend Evan Mobley and how to keep him on the glass. SC's going to have to counter that and try to throw some new stuff out there uh, or else the Trojans are going to be in for a very long night. Yeah, and you know there are a few things that spring to mind when you say that. Number one is that UCLA, you know, at full health, does have the the big men to you know give Evan Mobley the problems like Colorado and Utah did. You know, they have you know big, strong, very good big men in Cody Riley, Jalen Hill, uh, and even Mac Etienne gave the Mobleys you know problems in that in that first matchup mm-hmm. at times, like you said. So uh, that's that's one side of the coin. The other side is what you said about getting out in transition. I think that might be a really good way to get Evan Mobley going because. He's a better athlete than not only the big men, but a lot of the perimeter guys that are going to be out there. And if you if he can have success getting downhill in transition, you know, get some baskets, build some confidence, I think that that would be huge for him, uh, especially in that UCLA game when, like you said, they are looking to kind of put you in the half court. Uh, if he can see some of those baskets go in initially from those easy transition looks, then, you know, those jump hooks and those other post looks are going to be uh, going in, and the baskets didn't seem a lot wider for him. Uh, yeah. One other thing that I would say is uh, Drew Peterson was the only one who showed up in that Utah game. He had 19 points, and they kind of wasted uh, a, a good Drew Peterson performance there. Um, so I, I'll be interested to see if that if that continues. I feel like he's been playing better recently. He was mm-hmm. one of the only guys that I thought played uh, you know pretty well on the the mountain road trip. Yeah, so and he hadn't been kind of playing well during that stretch when they were playing Stanford and UCLA uh, earlier in the season. So, you know, do do you think that he can be kind of a X factor or you know, kind of a, a an addition to kind of match what UCLA is going to be gaining from Riley and Hill coming back? I hope so. They they need more production off the bench. Um, you know, I thought Max Abampolo was was starting to produce a little bit more before the Mountain Road trip. Um, and then he just completely disappeared and didn't yeah. do anything. Like you said, Drew Peterson was the lone bright spot, in my opinion, uh, over, over the entire road trip um, to see him. I mean, he continued to play hard. And, and uh, you know, the second half of that Utah game, I thought he, he did some really, really good things and scored a lot of points. Um, but, you know, kind of my last thought on, on this UCLA game is, uh, you know, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a tight game. And it's going to come down to free throws. And if you recall, at the end of last year's game, uh, you know, Onyeko Kongwu was going to the line, uh, SC up one, uh, with a chance to make two free throws and basically put the game away. He missed both. UCLA came down, got fouled, made both free throws. And then Jonah came down and hit a three to win the game, luckily. Um, That can't happen. SC's going to need to make their free throws. I mean, they are dead last in the Pac-12 in free throw percentage right now at 65%. Luckily UCLA isn't a ton better. Yeah. They're at 72%, but I, I that's something that SC is going to need to make their free throws in order to close this game out, I think. And and if they don't, then you know, it 
we're all, we're all going to be having a, a much worse conversation next week uh, if, if they don't if they don't do that. Yeah, I think any any USC fans listening to this who hear that this game could even possibly hinge on free throws is, is kind of <laughs> having a panic attack right now at this point. Uh, but I, I agree. I, I think it'll be it'll end up being a close game, and those close games often very much do come down to uh, the free throw shooting, especially at the college level. So uh, we will see with that. Before we get going here, Chris. Uh, since it is the end of the season and these big games are coming up, I do want to ask for your prediction on how you see these final few games playing out. You know, what what does USC do against Stanford and UCLA? And then at the end of it, who do you think is holding uh, holding on to the first place in, in the Pac-12 going into the tournament? So uh, just I'm going to ask or, or I'm going to answer your last question first. I, I think it's Oregon's to win. Interesting. Okay. Um, I, I, I think I think. You know, Oregon has a good matchup against UCLA at home, mm-hmm. um, and then I think they close out with Oregon State. I think I think they win both those games, so I think they have the the easiest road to win the conference. Um, I think SC has the second best road to win the conference. I th- I think they take care of Stanford. Um, I think Enfield gets this team's head in the right direction, uh, and they go out and and they bring the fire and the heart and the same kind of energy they brought against Oregon. Um, and I think that UCLA game is going to be a back and forth game. I mean, I could see, I could see SC coming up, up 10. I can see UCLA fighting back and going up 10. I, I can see it seesaw back and forth. Um, but you know, my, my, I don't know if it's my gut or my heart. It's probably my heart because I'm going to say, I think SC takes it by two to three points. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they close it out at home and I, and I hope they ride that wave into the PAC 12 tournament and they can make some noise. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I was going to say I do feel like this is it. It still kind of shapes up pretty well for USC, like you said. They if they win their final two games, and you know I I certainly think that UCLA can go into Oregon and beat them. Even if Oregon does beat uh, UCLA, they have a road game at Oregon State, which is a rivalry game. As we know, anything can happen in those games, especially when the better team is playing on the road. I think I'm going to say that USC somehow manages to to pull it out by the the hair on their chin or whatever the whatever the saying is. <laughs> um, and you know, it, whether Oregon loses that UCLA game or that Oregon State game, I think that they falter in one of those games, and USC closes it out by winning these final two. Uh, but you know, for, for everyone, uh, for everyone listening, that is, uh, that is just one of, of many possibilities. And honestly, me personally, I, I can't particularly distinguish which, which of the outcomes is the most likely. Can you, Chris? No, I mean, this conference has been all over the place and, you know, with the COVID stuff and half, half the kids not playing at some point throughout the PAC 12 conference, it's, it's anyone's at the end of the day, but we have three teams that are all, you know, have a great opportunity to close this thing out and win the conference. And, you know, if anything, it's going to make for an awesome week of basketball for all of us to enjoy. And and at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Agreed, for sure. No matter what, I think that this final stretch will be entertaining. Uh, Pac-12 is eating itself, as it seems to always do in all of these sports, uh, eating it, eating itself alive. But we will see. I feel like that makes that makes for pretty for pretty good entertainment when it comes to, to sports. Right. So. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you to everyone for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else that podcasts exist. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Fight on. Fight on.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.